Welcome to Love Living Life with Marla Williams on Lift Your Spirits Radio. Today, I am thrilled to have two special guests with me, and we're talking about becoming unstoppable. But let me talk about that song for a minute. The song was by J.D. Eicher, who, and it's called Level Out, and it's about overcoming tragedy or difficulties and feeling good for a change feeling better for a while, whether you're facing cancer or pain or tragedy or life issues. And it kind of runs with the theme of what we're going to be talking about today. When it comes to being resilient and unstoppable, my two guests today describe, live that to a T. And my first guest is Sean Swarner, who is a two-time cancer survivor he was diagnosed during his high school or his first diagnosis was at 14 and he was told he wouldn't survive either. And he did, he overcame all odds. The second one, he actually lost a lung and has taken those situations in his life and applied it to what, who he is and what he's doing in life learning and helping others overcome odds. And he ended up actually climbing mountains, a first cancer survivor to climb many mountains. And we're gonna get into more details with one lung. I can't imagine climbing one mountain with one lung. And he's done all the biggest ones on all the seven continents plus more. So we'll get into that in more detail, but he was driven not only to from his own inner visualizations and beliefs to overcome the cancers, but then to also conquer these mountains and then to help other people learn that resilience and that determination that he has. And then I believe that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I've also invited his mom, Terry Swarner, who happens to be a very dear close friend of mine on Camino Island. And I invited her on the show too, because she also is the survivor and a thriver, just like Sean. Uh, she was actually born, uh, she was a twin and she got the short end of the stick when birth came and was born with a shorter leg and smaller foot and got teased mercifully when she was a child. And her sister was her biggest, her twin sister was her biggest cheerleader and helped her kind of overcome that, that, but then she as a mom had to overcome watching her young son face a deadly cancer twice. And she was a rock, I believe in his life. And, and she's lived her life helping others. So I couldn't be more thrilled to have both of them on the show to talk about their mindset their inner thinking, the things that keep them fighting no matter what they're facing. So welcome to the show, Sean and Terry. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much, Marlene. I know that uh, the, the listeners can't see this, but we're connected on Zoom and I have my mom on one side. And I, when you started talking about her, I have to cover her up so I don't get emotional. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mom, no offense. I'm going to block your picture and your video out so I don't get teary eyed. <laughs> That's well, I love sweet. you too, Sean. Yeah. It, what I love about Terry is, is she's an inspiration on this island, the things that she does and the difference she makes. And I know Sean's doing it on a much bigger scale worldwide, but these two people are people anybody 
would be gifted to get to know. So let's, Sean, let's talk about your story first. Um, I know you were a good athlete um, and very active in life and going strong when all of a sudden what happened? You hurt a knee, you hurt a leg. Tell me, tell me your story. Exactly. I, I actually, I had my life just turn upside down. I was cruising along. Great. Eighth grade. Wonderful. I was checking out girls. You know, my, my hormones were, were kicking in. Hair was, was growing in unusual places on my body. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was ready to go and, and launch myself out into the world. But the, you know, the big guy upstairs in the world had uh, different plans where you're right. It was a knee injury. I suffered that triggered every joint in my whole body to go haywire and I swelled up like the Pillsbury Doughboy and uh, I grew up in a small town called Willard Ohio and they they didn't exactly have the right technology to diagnose what I had uh, as, as you mentioned I, I, I had cancer but when inside that hospital they tried initially treating me for pneumonia and you're not going to cure cancer by sucking on a nebulizer so I wasn't <laughs> getting any better <laughs> So eventually they took me to Columbus, Ohio. And I remember my mom, uh, my mom and my dad at the time got pulled out of the hall, out of the bedroom in Willard, Ohio hospital. And the doctor asked them if, if they knew of any oncologists. My mom can, I'm sure, talk about this in, in better detail. But I remember my mom, this is how lucky and fortunate and blessed my, my family is. I remember my mom called up a friend of hers, I believe that she graduated with. Um, his last name was Bell. And she asked him just point blank, hey, you have twins. If one of them got cancer, who would you take them to? And he instantly said, Dr. Davis. So that was boom. That was it. It was taken care of. We knew. We trusted that guy. Columbus, Ohio, here we come. And that just kind of changed not only my life, but my family's life. Well, yeah, it was, it was uh, very lucky that Dr. Mel Davis graduated a year behind me in high school and he didn't know, and I didn't know that was him. When we walked into the room, he instantly said, hi, are you Terry or Jerry? And I knew we were in good hands because this guy was so smart that if he was in your cl class, he would ruin the curve just because he was there. He was just so smart and we were so thankful for that. But the hospital was 90 miles away. So it wasn't like driving across the street to go to a hospital. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wow. So anyway, you ended up, Sean, with an amazing doctor who you all trusted, who Terry knew, who people had recommended. And here you are at 14 with the doctor saying your son has cancer. And Terry, how did that feel? Well, it was a kick in the gut because um, my father and my stepmother both had passed from cancer and my stepmother had just passed from cancer in January. And this all transpired the end of January. So it was not a good time in our lives. So um, other than that, you know, you just go with the flow, you go with the people you trust, the big man upstairs, we call Bob. Um, we knew he was on our side <laughs> and we, he was gonna get the best treatment, but it still was very, very scary and a lot of tears and, you know, just all that stuff a mom and parents go through along with Sean, but we tried to be strong for him, yeah. knowing that, you know, knowing that he was going through his own problems and scary 
thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a power right in itself because when people are diagnosed with something, oftentimes everybody starts to fall apart and they focus on the worse and their mind goes to, oh my God, I'm sick, I'm dying. And you focus on dying. And Sean knows this better than anyone. What you focus on, what you think, what you feel becomes your reality. And so even as a 14-year-old diagnosed with cancer, Sean had had experience as an athlete, right, Sean? Correct. And I was, I was, if you don't mind, I was going to jump in and, and say, yeah, go ahead. Exactly what you're saying. Uh, and, and just kind of reflect on that because you're absolutely right. What, what you focus on is what you get. And if you go and look at how people are diagnosed with cancer, even now, it's essentially you, you sit down in the, the office, <clears throat> the doctor comes in or the nurse's practitioner, whoever it might be, they say, okay. And just as an example, knock on what this will ever happen. Marla, you have cancer this is what we're going to do. This is the treatment. This is the type, et cetera, et cetera. I don't understand because I don't understand why they don't flip it around because what happens is when you hear that C word, when you hear cancer, you, you tune out, you're done. What my parents did, you know, what mom did was, Hey, you're sick. This is what we're going to do. This is the condition. And Oh, by the way, it's cancer. So even, even before going into it, I had, they instilled in me the mentality of, Hey, I can beat this. We're going to do whatever we can to get to, to get through it. And I wish that doctors and patients would work together in, in the establishments where they tell someone and they deliver this information of, of their diagnosis. I wish they would do it the way mom did yeah. in the in the aspect of, hey, this is what it is. We're going to take care of it. And oh, by the way. Here's what the actual diagnosis exactly. is. Yeah, and what the doctors often do is they not only tell you you have cancer and here's what we're going to do, but then they say, this is how long you have to live. And telling somebody how long you have to live, that goes in their head. And do you know how many, they've done studies on this, how many people were told you have four weeks to live or you have months to live or you have a year to live and they die in accordance to what the doctor told them because that is their thought. And I don't know if you've seen any of those studies, but it blows me away. And so just that your mom turned it into, here's what we're going to do. And then your athletic background of being able to push your way through athletic events and visualize yourself as coming out ahead, allowed you to take those skills that you had within you and begin to apply them to a whole new challenge, which was cancer. Correct. But I, I think that attitude in that mentality also came from when I was young. I, I, I didn't just develop that myself. It came from my mom where, you know, when I was, a, when I was a little kid and I was a swimmer and I love swimming and, and just going back and forth in the pool. I remember whenever I would touch the wall, say as a seven-year-old, I would touch the wall doing a, a 25 meter breaststroke, touch the wall. And one of my parents would be there to pull me out of the water. And they would ask me two questions and they would be, did you have fun? And did you do your best? They never asked me, Hey, you know, why didn't you beat Jimmy? Why didn't you beat Scott? You know, why didn't you beat whoever it might be? It was always, did you have fun? And did you do your best? Because one of the things that I was, I was taught at such a young age was I never had to be the best. I had to be my best and improving myself day by day, step by step, utilizing what's called the compound effect. I improved my life in, in such a tremendous way if I just try to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. And I think we can all learn from that. I love that. I love that philosophy. Terry, was that what you were told growing up or where did that come from? Well, 
Uh, first of all, my father was the person that was the humorous person. My mother was the creative person. And they always told us the, you know what, we didn't have to do, get these marks in school. We just had to be our best, just like what Sean said. And I think that reflected on my life and it does even today. There's a lot of things I want to do, but I want to do them my best. So that's my life mantra. Yeah. And you know what I love about that is that what you hear between, and you guys probably all know this, what you hear at a very young age between like zero and seven, be kind of comes ingrained in your belief system and it becomes part of who you are. And with your hearing always do your best and you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to, you know, just do your best and have fun which your dad was having fun and your mom was the creative and doing your best. But anyway, you instilled that in your son and that probably helped save his life too. Well, I hope so. <laughs> it seems like it has, and it's carried on as he is an older, not a teenager anymore, but he is an older adult applying these things and um, sharing his knowledge and his, his mantra with his clients and his cancer survivors and encouraging people going up Kilimanjaro, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So little did I know that all that would carry on. Yeah. So Sean, let's talk about overcoming the first cancer and get through the story. And then we'll talk more about how you're making a difference in the world as we move on through the show. Absolutely. So as, as you can imagine, being in the eighth grade, my, my friends were focused on chasing girls, collecting baseball cards, having a great time with their lives when I was literally fighting for my life and, and not wanting to give up. And in fact, I, re I remember a moment when I was 14, I was 60 pounds overweight, and I was in the, the bottom of the shower floor on my hands and knees, uh, pulling chunks of hair out of the drain because my hair was falling out from the chemo. And the water was filling up. And I remember just sobbing and weeping and thinking to myself, I have two choices. I could fight for my life or, or give up and die. And I also decided in that same moment that I didn't want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living. And you, you, you touched on that before where you, you pretty much get what you're looking for. You, you are where you're going is where your focus is. And it's the same thing as, as, as you guys know where, where you live let's say you're driving and all of a sudden you hit a sheet of ice wherever your eyes are going you're, you're thinking to yourself oh god don't hit, don't hit the telephone pole what's gonna happen you're gonna hit the telephone pole exactly you're gonna you're, you're gonna go where your focus is so that's why i tell people don't focus on the avoidance of what you don't want focus on what you want you know entrepreneurs they don't get into the businesses thinking oh i don't want to lose money no they, don't, they just complete opposite they want to make money so i focused on living as opposed to not dying and I, I took that attitude forward and in, into remission. And I went back to swimming, went back to athletics. And I was in remission for about a year, maybe a year and a half. I'm going, I'm going to stop you for a minute sure. because you were told you had four months to live. I was, I was told I had three months to live. And three actually, months they, to live. Yeah. This, and, well, the, the second time around, they told me I had 14 days. So, but you didn't take what they said of three months to live to heart. You decided, heck no, you're not stopping me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, one of my favorite quotes is from a guy you might, might have heard of. His name is Nelson Mandela. And it was, <laughs> it always seems impossible until it's done. Yeah. 
And I, I firmly believe that. Even, even looking at, um, I forget the guy's name, um, Roger Bannister running the sub four minute mile. People thought it was impossible to do because you couldn't, the human body could not handle running that fast for that long. It would suffer internal damage. But as soon as he did it, a week later, somebody else did it. Now teenagers in high school are doing it. Yeah. You know, it yeah. all depends on what you believe is possible and, and whether you think you can do something or whether you think you can't do something, you're absolutely right. And I think Henry Ford said that and you just recorded him. Good job. This is a great time for a break. You are listening to Love Living Life with Marla Williams on Lift Your Spirits Radio. Stay tuned and we will be right back. Lift your spirits with me, Dina Marie, on Whidbey Island. I'll be a tour guide for your spirit and a travel agent for your soul. Retreats include a healing session for your body, your mind, and your spirit. You receive a Reiki session plus a chakra reading, experience a labyrinth in the woods, take a walk on the beach, and enjoy downtown Langley with me. Retreats are customized for you or a group of friends. You can visit dina-marie.com to connect with me today. Island time is waiting for you. Are your medical expenses increasing, but your health is not improving? True Health offers unique services where Kasara empowers clients with intuition, education, and proven resources. Better choices can be made when information is available. Now's the time to visit TrueHealth.com. That's T-R-U-Health.com. And schedule your appointment to achieve your health goals. Your body will thank you. Mark your calendars for the 2022 Northwest Green Home Tour on two Saturdays, May 7th and 14th. The tour is a free hybrid tour, a mix of virtual and live sites. This is a free opportunity to see firsthand the many ways that environmentally conscious design and construction can benefit not only the planet as a whole, but your local community, your family, and you. This year's tour features green building approaches that can put more money in your pocket by lowering your energy costs or even eliminating them altogether. They will show you remodels, new builds, backyard cottages, single-family residences, co-housing, and condos. The homes on the tour boast a variety of green building certifications, passive house, build green, and net zero. To RSVP for your free tickets, visit nwgreenhometour.org for the schedule and more details. That's nwgreenhometour.org. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. Thank you for listening. I'm Marla Williams, and you're listening to Love Living Life on Lift Your Spirits Radio. And I have Sean Swarner and his mother, Terry Swarner, with me here today to talk about how they have both overcome odds in their lives and the impact that Terry had on Sean and what he does in the world. So while we were off air during that break, Sean told me a great story. When he had cancer that first time, he actually was going to a writer's clinic or event and during his cancer and he wrote a book called fearless and he kind of gave me a 
brief scenario of it. And I want him to share that because it's pretty cool of how mindset and seeing something can just kind of switch you in the moment. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Sean? Absolutely. It's the crux of the story is there was a guy who's, who's down on his luck, um, ready to, to end his life. So he climbs up to the top of this precipice and he looks down at the, this cliff and it's such a long way down. <clears throat> so he was, he was going to end his life by jumping off. And he noticed where he was going to land was a yellow flower growing out of the rock and in such harsh conditions. There's no dirt, no nothing. And he realized two things. One, if that flower can survive in such extreme conditions, you know, with, with no sun, no water, no, no earth to, to grow in, he could, he could continue on. But he was also more concerned and more worried that if he jumped, he would actually kill the flower and he would be more concerned about that than ending, than ending his own life. So it kind of goes back to what I was going through. I think in my life, I was more worried about my parents losing their son than me losing my own life. Wow, that's amazing. So you had this will to live and I, and I don't know which cancer was the one where you did a lot of visualizations where you were um, seeing it as a monster. Can you tell me about your visualizations? Was that this first cancer? Did you have that? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, okay. it's in one of my books. I actually, so have you ever heard of or, or read the comic strip, uh, Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, love it. So Bill Watterson, it was amazing. I, I love that guy. Um, so his alter ego was someone called Spaceman Spiff. And when I was younger, I visualized myself being kind of this sort of spaceman spiff guy, but in a microscopic spaceship traveling in my body, where I visualized myself flying through my veins, you know, the space center was the heart where we all collected. And when it was my turn, I remember being shot out like a cannon going through the valve in my heart, flying through the veins. And if I had to turn left or right, there's something, something would show up on the dashboard and I would sneak up on the, the cancer and I would unload on it with missiles and ray guns and, and bullets and everything else that were laden with chemotherapy. So essentially in my mind, I was destroying the cancer from the inside out. And you know what? I don't know if everybody listening understands the power of that. But for a young 14-year-old to go there, have that vision, and then to heal from a cancer that he was told he wouldn't survive is a key behind that survival. Mindset, but also visualization. Science has proven how strong what you think, what you feel, what you visualize becomes your reality. And so if you focus, as Sean has said, on what you do want, which he wanted to see all that obliviated, and it happened it got obliviated and he healed and he came out of it. So to me, that is extremely powerful and something that everybody can apply every single day of their life whenever they're facing a challenge or struggle is what can they do to focus on what they do want, um, which is the guy, your, your book, Fearless, and focusing on the flower and protecting it or you focusing on surviving for your parents. I mean, there's just so many things that what you think becomes your reality. I want to, so then you healed, you went back to a normal life for, or semi-normal life. You were rebuilding your strength, I'm assuming, and starting to, were you starting to get back into sports and normality and girls? 
I, I, I was. I, uh, I think I went on a date. I went steady with someone. I gave her my, uh, my, my ring later on. You know, <laughs> think, things were all oh, things were serious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you were normal. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's all. I think I was the only person, uh, the only student who actually wanted to go to school. I was sick and tired of being in the hospital. I didn't want to be at home anymore. I wanted to be normal. That's all I wanted. And looking back at it, I'm so abnormal now. I think, <laughs> why, why do I want to be normal? Like I said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> Just kidding, Terry. Okay. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so you're going along at good speed again, falling in love, having a normal life, feeling good, loving school, and what happens? And then, bam, all of a sudden, we're going in for a regular checkup, and the doctor said, oh, well, that's, that's not supposed to be there. So in, in the process of 24 hours, they found a tumor on an x-ray on my right lung the size of a golf ball. They did a needle biopsy. They removed a lymph node. They put in a Hickman catheter, which is like a permanent IV. They did a thoracotomy, which is where they snapped open my ribs, removed the tumor. They sewed me back up. They put in a drainage tube and they started chemotherapy in less than 24 hours, less than one day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it was, it was, I, I can't even imagine. I'm sure mom's going to talk about what it was like for her, but for me, it was, it was just a giant blur yeah, because they diagnosed me with a type of cancer that affects three out of a million people with a prognosis of 6%. Oh my God. I had no idea. 6% chance to survive. And they gave you two weeks, 10 days. Because they they did. They they gave me a a prognosis of 14 days. And I I actually remember laying in the hospital bed and a man of the cloth came in to start reading me my last rites. And I I looked at my mom and my dad and I I was like, well, you know, what are they doing? I'm not dead yet. And they also (laughs) wanted me to write out a living will. And looking back at it now, being the age I am now, I understand why, but they wanted, as six, 15, almost 16, and they wanted me to write out a living will. And I have a younger brother, Seth, who's three years younger than I am. And I looked at my mom and I was like, isn't he, isn't Seth going to get my hand-me-downs anyhow? Like, what does the hospital want? <laughs> <laughs> That's just weird. That's a, actually a strange process. Do they always do that with children? I have no idea. I was, I was also, when they did the first time around, when they did the bone marrow test, uh, they went in right above my, my buttocks and they drilled in there with a surgical blade and they treated me as an adult, as opposed to a child, because I think back then they didn't really have the, the, the children wards. So they just treated me as an adult. Wow. Wow. So Terry, yes. the second diagnosis, going for a regular checkup, finding out and having your whole turnaround, your whole world turn around in 24 hours. I mean, you're a survivor yourself going through that. So tell me your, your perspective. Okay. Well, we had asked when Sean was feeling well, we had asked him where he wanted to go on a trip. We thought, you know, we'll take a little family vacation. And I thought he'd want to go to like Disneyland. He goes, how about China? And I went, China. Oh, wow. (laughs) But, you know, I was going to make it happen. So what I did is I, got a help hold of our travel agent. She worked on it. We were supposed to leave, <coughs> excuse me, two weeks after his, his appointment. Oh dear. Well, I was in the um, office of our doctor, picked up the phone and called Cindy and said, I don't care what it takes. Get me cancellation insurance right now. <coughs> excuse me. And the doctor came in and he goes, you're not going on a trip. You're going to go on a trip over to the oncology ward 
at Riverside Hospital. So it was like, oh my gosh. So this whole revelation from packing, getting ready to go to China and everything just was in reverse. We just put it in reverse and we said, okay, we're going to do this all over again. But this was a very critical, it was Aspen sarcoma. A lot of um, oncologists had never heard of it. And it was just the protocol was not even there yet. So Dr. Davis, the wise man, got on his computer and figured out some kind of a cocktail for Sean after it was diagnosed with Askins. And there was one other person, young man in Texas, that also had it. Unfortunately, he did not survive. He did not have the same kind of medication and chemotherapy and all that Sean had. So Sean was very lucky, very lucky. So it was, you know, I mean, you're back to square one. And I know Sean didn't want to go through it again. I knew he was in the room listening as Dr. Davis talked to us and said, you know, here, here's another kind of cancer. We don't know what it is yet until we get the results. So when they got the results, he said, this one's a tough one. That's why they said 14 days and he was in the last stage. So, wow. So Sean, so Sean, knowing being, were you told 14 days to live? Did you know know that? I I didn't until later. And again, I think it was, it was great that my parents sheltered me from that because oftentimes when you don't really, that, that, that adage, that saying of ignorance is bliss. And I really think it was, it was true here. And then even looking back at it, I'm sure it was probably more difficult on my parents than it was me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they saw, they saw the potential end in sight, but you're a fighter, you're a survivor, you're a mindset. So did you use your mindset on this one? Did you have enough time? I mean, it was just like all of a sudden, boom, 24 hours and you're from one life back to the other life. So, so let's talk about visualization in this one. Absolutely. I did the same thing. I actually visualized myself swimming back and forth in the pool, getting back and into athletics, running. And I I even use the same, and I'm sure we'll get there with, with Everest and everything in my life. And you were talking about visualization earlier, where a lot of people, I, I don't think utilize it enough because research has actually shown your mind does not know the difference between vivid visualization and reality. So whatever you can truly picture, and, and, and when I say truly picture, I mean, involve all of your senses. You know, when I was going up to the summit of Everest, I smelled the ozone, heard the crunching of the snow beneath my feet. When I was in the hospital, I was picturing myself crossing the finish line, running the 800 meter track meet, you know, hearing the crowd, hearing the feet, uh, my feet clamoring on the, on the floor, feeling the sweat beating down. But the, the trick here is what does that mean to me? And for me, it's, it's that emotional attachment of being a survivor. It's that emotional attachment of actually living and loving life because all we're guaranteed is the here and now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. That, that, that for anyone, that, that doesn't exist. So just take advantage of what we have now and, and be happy with it. Yeah, and that is so powerful. I've worked with a lot of people who visualization actually transformed their life. And in a sense, it did yours too. And I really believe that if we can share one big thing today, a lot, there's a lot to understand and learn from this, you know, the positive outlook, the, the believing in yourself and your 
survival and wanting to survive. But that visualization is extremely powerful. And the more people, I build it into every single day. I start my day with like a meditative state and go into a visualization. And I'm actually connecting and asking for guidance on how I can better, you know, live my life, help my client do whatever I do that day. Um, and I'm guessing you probably start your day in a similar way. Am I right? Uh, absolutely. And <clears throat> actually, I, I I start my day with something I developed myself. I, I have scoured the the internet for a journal. So I, I, and I couldn't find what I was looking for. So I created my own journal and I actually bookend my day. I start my day off with, and I actually have my journal in front of me and it says uh, my morning bookend today, my value affirmation is blank. And then I will, and then there are three blanks. You know, I will try to do three things today. I will learn to do three things today. And then in the evening, this is key. I write down, it says my evening bookend. I am grateful for blank that happened today. And there's a list of, there's five lines where I can list off five things that happened today, you know, that day for which I'm grateful. And then on the, the most important part is the next. From the above, I am most grateful for blank because blank. And when you link that because section in there, you're then tapping into your personal core values, which are the, the things that mean most to you. And you then go to bed as opposed to thinking, oh man, I didn't do this. I forgot to do that. I, I, I didn't get this accomplished. Oh, I'm such a failure. You go to bed with an attitude of gratitude and you're grateful for everything that you did accomplish, everything that you could accomplish, everything that happened that day. And I absolutely love what you've done because I've done grateful journal at night forever and ever. And so I always go to bed, but what you've done is you've taken the front end of the day and where you're going and then kind of tied it into the end of the day into your gratefuls. And I love that. Is that something that you have available on Amazon or you're just using it yourself or use it in your workshops? Or is that something that will, can be available? I can see that as a potential of something people would love. It's, it's interesting. We can, we can dive into it maybe a little bit later, but it's, it's actually a, an online program I developed based on everything I've been through, everything I've learned in the mountains and being the only person in history to accomplish what I have because people during my keynote presentations, sorry, after the presentations, they wouldn't interrupt me while I'm talking. After the keynote presentation, they would come up and there would be a handful of people asking me, how did you do what you did? Because my first goal was to literally crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom. Yeah. And then I went on to, to do these amazing feats. And then as we talked earlier, my success rate on Kilimanjaro is double that of the average. Yeah. So it's called the Big Hill Challenge, and it's a three-week-long program where people can utilize what means most to them. You start off with a personal core values assessment, and once you learn what your personal core values are, you can then utilize those to make conscious and mindful decisions for the rest of your life. I love it. I love that. I love that to death. I want to talk to Terry for a minute. When you were back in the hospital that second time before you knew you were safe and coming out, uh, you guys had always had the same hospital room. All these times you're going to the hospital, you ended up in the same room. And then one day you had a different room. And this is where you can see how the light of Terry shone down on Sean and influenced how he thought. But you came into this room and you're kind of disappointed that you didn't have your always room. And tell me what happened, Terry. Tell me what yeah. you saw, what you noticed. Yeah. 
Well, we we got to the point that um, we had been there so much for several years that we wouldn't even have to check in at the hospital. We'd just go straight to the room. <laughs> well, they stopped us at the elevator and they said, you know what, your room's not available. Somebody else is in there. And that was a gut punch because that was our safe room. That was our safe room with our safe nurse. And we knew everybody on the floor. Well, so Sean went up to a different room on a different floor and there was an elderly man on the other side of the curtain. This was not a good situation. Well, finally, after one day, Sean spent one day in the hospital in that room. Then they came down and they said, you know what? Your room's available. So we went up there. It was snowing outside. It was just terribly cold. And we went up to the room and the drapes were closed. Sean gets into bed and I opened the drapes and I said, Sean, come over here. So he gets out of bed. As I open the drapes, I see a rainbow coming out of the sky. On the, it's kind of like a freeway area. There was this one piece of land that had an evergreen tree. And unbeknownst to anybody, and unbelievably seeing the vision of this rainbow going into that evergreen tree, I took Sean in my arms and I said, Sean, you're going to make it. That's your sign from the big man above saying, you know, keep that vision. We're going to get you healthy again. I mean, it was just, it's something I'll never, ever forget. A rainbow in the winter, in the snow, in a pine tree, an evergreen pine tree was just the mark and the sign that we needed that Sean was going to be just fine. Yeah. But, you know, it was still a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, that is powerful. And I've never seen a rainbow in the snow. No. And then to have it go into the, the tree, which is full of life and life force and life energy, because the earth gives us that. And what I love about this is all these things, Sean, in your life and all these things you've gone through, it, there's a lot that just comes back to like your book and the man kind of going off a crime. You, you kind of go into the mountains, you kind of go into nature and kind of your everything about you. And I'm excited to get to the final part of our show where we're really going to talk about what you've done. You've taken these life challenges and you have turned them into um, opportunities to help others. And we're going to do and get back to that, but it's time for break. So you're listening to Love Living Life with Marla Williams on Lift Your Spirits Radio. Don't go away because the best is yet to come. Our Energy Matters Tip of the Week with Dina Marie. Put yourself on a diet of cool people. That used to be a practice I started. It started 20 years ago with my clients. And it just means if the phone rings and your stomach feels sick, if your energy drops when you're around people, if you feel empty, if you're always paying all the time, that's probably a good indicator. So what I do, if they come my way, I call them vampires, I don't call them back. Sometimes I even delete their texts and I had to practice that just recently. And you know what I realized? 
they were doing it to other people too. So they'll go find someone else. So why don't you hang out with people that lift your spirits, take the time to do things you want to do with the people that are already supporting you and loving you. So this week's tip is to be around people that lift your spirits and feel good being around. That's the Our Energy Matters Tip of the Week with Dina Marie. So are you ready to have a major breakthrough in your life? Marlo Williams, a certified life coach and TLT practitioner, transforms lives, moving her clients from apathy to happiness, from stress to balance, from uncertainty to total confidence and more. Marlo will help you identify the one breakthrough point you can change to live life in more harmony with your true self. It is life-changing. Sign up for a complimentary session at MarloWilliams.net and experience the magic of moving from stuckness into a life you love. Lift your spirits with us every Friday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1150 AM KKNW Seattle. We will be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities are guaranteed to lift your spirits. Miss a show? No worries, you can visit 1150kknw.com and click on our archive page or like Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie on Facebook for upcoming guests and events. To contact me, Dina Marie, visit dina-marie.com. Thank you so much for listening. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Love Living Life with Marla Williams on Lift Your Spirits Radio. This morning, we are discussing becoming unstoppable and overcoming all odds. And we're back to Sean and Terry Swarner. So, Sean, you took all these life setbacks and all these challenges, as your mom did in her life, too, and you overcame them, and it made it your purpose in life. You know, your mom had some issues when she was young. She was born with a disability. She overcame. She had all these challenges with you, and she became involved in the cancer clinic and helping others and she spent her life helping others you are doing the same thing on a grander scale so let's talk about how you took all these life setbacks and you began to give back you began to climb mountains you saw how it helped you so let's talk about your grand slam tell me tell me your story about all the mountains and overcoming things to you know heal yourself and now to heal others yeah absolutely and i i wouldn't necessarily say you know, on a, on a grander scale, just maybe on a bigger platform, because <laughs> Everest is a giant platform. Because we all, we all have the opportunity to give back in our own little ways. It, it can just be walking down the street and you know, smiling at someone and just saying hello. I mean, that might change their lives. You, you never know what the with the ripple effect. Yeah. So what what mom did was was amazing. It it <clears throat> filtered out into me. And what she's done is filtered out into other people and, and everything. It, it goes from there. It's, it's spread far and wide. And get to, to answer your question, you know, after, after going over these, getting over these two cancers, and I don't want to say conquering the cancers, because just like going up a mountain, you, you never conquer the mountain. Because in all honesty, if it's you versus Mother Nature, eh, she's going to take you down every single time. Like You're not, you're not going to win that battle. It's more not you conquering the mountain, but you conquering yourself. And I learned that as becoming the first cancer survivor to climb Everest. 
And my goal was to just enjoy the trip. And the summit became a byproduct of, of enjoying the trip. And I remember when I, when I got to the top, you know, it, and a lot of people don't understand how long it takes to get up there. I, I won't get into the details, but I arrived at base camp April 8th and I summited May 16th. So what is that? A, a, almost a month and a half. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know how long you've gone without taking a shower before, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it probably hasn't been a month and a half. <laughs> you, you become pretty ripe on the mountain. Um, but the whole time I was going up and down and up and down, I had a flag that had names of people touched by cancer. And it was folded up close to my heart as a constant reminder of my goals, of, of my values and, and why I was there. Because whatever you're doing in life, it, it, what matters most is the reason behind it. You know, you, getting the new car is never going to bring you happiness. As I said before, that's an internal job. You know, it's, it's what that represents. Getting a raise, uh, getting more money at, at work, it's not the money. It could be financial security or safety for your family, whatever it means to you. So me getting to the top of, of Mount Everest meant that I was giving hope back to people touched by cancer. And, and going back to the quote I said earlier, it always seems impossible until it's done. So many people really need to believe something's possible until they do it themselves because they have to have that confidence within them. So after, after climbing Everest, I decided, okay, well, there are six other continents around the world and let's go climb those mountains. Yeah. So you did all seven and you not only as a cancer survivor, a cancer su survivor with one lung. <laughs> well, we, we all have our limitations, right? <laughs> That's amazing. And so what you've done is not only I'm gone and enjoyed yourself on seven different summits, which is going back to your childhood values, right? Did you have fun? Right. I, I, did you I did. do your best? I, I did. <laughs> yeah. And so what you're doing is instilling these values in people that have climbed with you. And so not only did you climb them yourself, you did the seven summits, but you also did the North and South Pole, right? Correct. So there's the seven summits, like you said, the highest mountain on every continent. And then if you add in the two poles, that's, that's something called the Explorer's Grand Slam, which I didn't name it, but I think it sounds like a Denny's breakfast platter. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that, that was something else. And Amazon actually has a film called True North, the Sean Swarner story about that trip to the North Pole. And I'm not going to ruin it, but it's like the Titanic, you know, the boat sinks. I, I make it to the North Pole and uh, I made it with about a thousand other people touched by cancer. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, did you instigate bringing all those bringing that with you the thousand people and that were touched by cancer because you bring cancer survivors up the mountain now you have a program that does that right correct so the cancer climber association every year for the past 20 well i'd say eight 16 years because i've done two a, a number of back-to-back -back trips up Kili. Um, we would we we fund a survivor's trip every year to go up kilimanjaro all, all cost covered and then we actually require that survivor to raise funds for next year's survivor, kind of paying it forward. Nice. So that's a different, a different program. But the, the thousands of people I've mentioned going to the North Pole, they were, they were with me proverbially on a flag. So we, okay. in those names that I wrote on the flag, they're not just names, they're people. Yeah. And if, if you do watch the film, like as a true North, the Sean Swarner story, 
if you can watch it, it's less than an hour. It'll change your life, but make sure you have a box of tissues there because when I make it up there, I still cry. And my mom, she makes me tear up whenever, whenever she's interviewed too. Wow. Wow. You're going to make me cry now. I'm so glad that we're not on TV. Um, <laughs> I love the connection that you have. I love your passion, your emotion, that you care so much, not only about any cancer patient and giving them hope and helping them learn to focus on what they do want um, and enjoy just like you did as a child. Did you do your best? Did you enjoy? And you're kind of teaching those values with all these people, whether it's your big health challenge, whether it's your ultimate life climb, whether it's your books or your movie, um, you, you are amazing and well, you I, really care. I, I appreciate that. But I, I just wish more people understood what their passion was. Because once you understand what your passion is, you can understand your purpose and have deeper meaning for life. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of work on that because I get people and it's not, you know, anything like you're doing, but I get a lot of people who at 50 go, you know, I've hated my life. I've hated my job. Mm -hmm. I, I want to follow my purpose now. And so I work with them to kind of get to the core of their values and their purpose and help them find what they're going to do in the next 50 years of their life. You know, there's no limit. 50 is the new youth. And you can do so much. A World Health Organization said that. They said, I think 66 is when you move into middle age. So I'm still in youth, which is amazing. Um, I think your mom has hit middle age now, but that's okay. So you may see us as older, but we're still young. Anyway, I, but it's mindset too. It's your belief, yeah? Absolutely. And in a quick story, I was, I was taking a trip because I give keynote talks all over the world. And I was flying from Dallas to Hong Kong. And I sat next to a guy who he, take, he, he would take that trip every other week. And I, I can't even imagine flying from Dallas to Hong Kong every other week. But he wanted to do it because he, he wanted to make more money and more money and more money. <clears throat> and on the flight over, as you can imagine, we have plenty of time to talk. You have a couple of drinks and then, you know, wake up and then have a couple more drinks and, and have a more conversation. It's like, it's like an 18 hour flight. So on our way over there, I just kept asking him questions. You know, what about your family? And he told me that he missed his son's first steps. He missed his son's first, uh, first words. He missed his son hitting the, the ball off the, the tee for tee ball. And I, I kept asking, well, how much is enough? And he told me, you know, in, in then diving back into the core values, when we landed, he looked at me, and goes, you convinced me to quit my job. This is my last trip to Hong Kong. Wow. Oh, that's wow. pretty cool. Yeah. You have to follow, you know, so many people are told success is how hard you work, how much money you make and what you own. And when a person is just striving towards that, that's when, that's what I was in corporate America. I was just driven all the time and I was driven by the money, the position, the thing. And I started getting sick. I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, and people do that. They drive themselves to illness. In your case, it was pretty extreme illnesses. In their case, it might be different, but it's really when you learn your values and what's really important, your whole entire life changes. And luckily you learned your values very young and created a life that you love and are really making a difference as your mom um, kind of instilled in you and lived her life that way. Right. Absolutely. And, and it came from mom. It came from, you, know, you, you learn these things, good habits, bad habits. You, you learn them over the, 
however many years we've been alive, even use, utilizing the, the seemingly mundane decisions that we've made for X number of years we've been alive, they, they've become a habit. You know, if, if you're, if you wake up in the morning and you instantly grab your phone or, or grab a cup of coffee, or you turn on the news, you know, whatever your habit is, if you want something different, do something different. Yeah. But, but, that, but don't get overwhelmed. Just pick one thing, one yeah. thing to change it and then change something else. And then not all at once, just take one. Yeah. Baby steps. I call it one baby step after another. Just keep putting in what you do when you climb a mountain, you put one foot in front of the other. Right. Exactly, exactly like that. And so if you think about being unstoppable, being, you know, being over to being able to overcome life challenges and obstacles, I think both of you, you know, have really showed this in your life and everything you do, but it's how you start your day, how you're thinking, you know, I've not watched the news since 2008. I don't watch the news. I pick up news online because news, if it leads, it bleeds. If it bleeds, it leads and it takes you down. And so I pick up what I need to know, but really is starting your day every day with what you want, focus your little journal that you have. If people do that is makes a big difference, right? So let's talk about becoming unstoppable. Let's talk about the things people can do. It's mindset, understanding your thoughts become your reality, starting your day, how you want to start it, um, doing baby steps. What else? Let's keep Sherry, yeah, throw things into. Okay. All right. Well, can I comment on something? Yes. When Sean was saying change your ways, we all have to remember that life is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. And we all have a finite. So we need to make every day, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the best day of our life. Help somebody else. Give a smile. Do something positive. And, you know, enjoy life. Enjoy nature. And that will change your life and somebody else's too. I love you, Terry. And this is what drew me to your mom, Sean. The moment I met her, I knew she was my kind of person. And I love the way you think. So what else can we share with people today? I love that, Terry. Thank you. I was going to say, if if you're going to keep her, I think I will too. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Sean, why don't you tell them quickly about your Kilimanjaro trips? Oh yeah, and, Terry, and the one that's Kilimanjaro. coming up. Yeah. Well, oh, well, my my trip up was Sean. Um, I, I went with him when I was sixty three. It was a total life changer. I just absolutely loved it. it. Was something that I had trained for when I lived in Kirkland with forty pounds of rocks on my back uh, in the morning, and then stair stepping with it on the uh, at the gym. Um, after I got off work. But the thing of it is, is Sean was such an encouragement. He said, mom, I'm going to help you once. Yeah, he helped me put my sleeping bag back in my my sleeping bag bag. And he goes, that's it, mom. And you know what? I thought, what a son, what a son, not a negative son, but what a positive son. That was just a positive affirmation that you could do this without me. Use your soul and your use your gut. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. <laughs> I highly recommend it to anybody. Sean has done it so many times. It's awesome. And he uses mostly the same people. It's a great, great trip and a safari afterwards. So Sean, you pick it up. So Sean, we got just a few seconds left. Tell me your final thoughts. Ooh, final thoughts. That's the most difficult question I always get. I would say 
whatever you're doing, you realize that we're not all going to climb Everest, but we all have an Everest to climb. And whenever I get my, my checkup, which is yearly, people always say, YOLO, fantastic, man, you only have one life to live. You know, this, this is it, one life, you know, you only live once. I'm like, no, we have it wrong. We only die once. You live every day. I love that. You live every day. Everyone make the most of every single day. Start your day right, end your day right, and enjoy your life. And thank you. You're both such lights on this planet. I appreciate you being here. And thanks so much, everyone, for listening to Love Living Life with Marla Williams on Lift Your Spirits Radio. Join me next month at the first Friday of the month. Selfish grip on me, yeah. Every plane of poverty must land thousands on.